Two Tribes is a two-part documentary series for RTE looking at the history of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and their roots in the Irish Civil War and how an intense rivalry gave way eventually to a coalition government. Now we bring you extended interviews with participants in the series. Brian Cowan was Taoiseach and leader of Fianna Fáil from 2008 to 2011. We began talking about the party's early days. They're not born in the Civil War. Um, I mean, Fianna Fáil wasn't until 1926. Um, so whilst it's referred to it in, in conversation, the Civil War parties, I always take that, make that little point to start with. Um, but certainly, looking at it from Fianna Fáil point of view, the, the party and the people who populated the party from 26 on were very much the people who didn't have an active political role, if you like, before then. They were a defeated element of the Civil War, I suppose. And certainly, when you look at its formation and the fact that Sean Amass went around the country, he went very much to people who were involved in War of Independence and, and unfortunately, the Civil War afterwards, um, as stalwarts for the party in its beginning. I'm just wondering about this phrase, tribes, in terms of describing Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. What are your thoughts on that as a description? Well, again, I mean, it, it's colourful. Um, but the tribe thing, I suppose, is about the loyalties it's, it, uh, that came out of the politics of that time. And certainly for right up to the modern times, if you like, people's association with a party very seldom changed. Um, there were committed Fine Gael people, committed Fianna Fáil people, committed Labour Party people indeed. Your own father, as we know, Burr Cowan, uh, was a Fianna Fáil TD. You succeeded him, you, you won a by-election. Was there ever, did a thought ever enter your head that you might be part of another party other than Fianna Fáil? No. <laughs> it, it, I, you always come to the position, I think, no matter how young or no matter what your ideas were or how radical they were, if they were, um, to say that it's through this party that I will be able to make a contribution, um, both in terms of support amongst the people and being able to communicate and work with the activists whom, whom one got to know very well as one grew up oneself uh, in terms of the affiliation they had to the party and my, my father's involvement with the party. And he himself took on the role of a councillor from his father before him. And he had been a member of the National Executive and a founder member and a huge influence on the whole family's involvement in politics subsequently. My father was quite, uh, was not pushed into it in any way, but he was a person who, um, gained ground as a politician quite um, unobtrusively. He, it wasn't an issue for him to become a candidate even. It was a, a request by the Commons subsequently supported at a convention. You, of course, became a minister <clears throat> uh, when Albert Reynolds took over from Charles Hockey, yeah. and it was a coalition government. Uh, Fianna Fáil was still getting used to the idea of coalition. Your, your own thoughts at that stage on the idea of coalition? Coalition 
whilst it was new to us at that stage, it was becoming clear that it was going to become the form of government we had. There was no one party going to emerge with 46, 47 percent of the first preference vote. That, that wasn't going to happen. In a modern Ireland that was, had disparate views and had different parties emerging, the Workers' Party were coming, the Labour Party were uh, a, a constant. So that sort of um, coalescing of policies in the interest of having a decent government in the aftermath of an election were parts where no one party was going to achieve an overall majority. Was, it, was there trauma, though? I mean, how traumatic was it for Fianna Fáil the first time when, when Charles Hawhey um, and Des O'Malley formed a, a, what would have been considered to be a very unlikely coalition and gave the PDs two seats? Was, was, how traumatic was that? It wasn't really as traumatic as people made out. <laughs> it's like everything. You, you um, try and position yourself to get the maximum benefit you can from the coalition discussions. And certainly the PDs, it was clear that Des O'Malley, for example, uh, wasn't going to go into government on his own. He wasn't going to be one of 15. He, there was going to, he was going to have a second colleague. And if, if there wasn't a second colleague, they, the PDs had made it clear they weren't going into government. When Albert Reynolds took over from Charles Hawhey, the relationship with the Progressive Democrats changed. Um, the Progressive Democrats felt that they weren't as respected by Reynolds as they had been by Hawhey. You yourself made a famous intervention yeah. at a Fianna Fáil or Do you want to remind us of that or what, was, what lay behind it? Well, I was... In, at the Ardesh, I was going through the, very, the opposition, first of all, <laughs> um, mm. saying certain things about them. Which are, it's part of, as you know, getting the... the, the uh, getting the room ready for the leader's entry and his speech to the to the uh, to the Ardesh. And of course I, being the sort I am, made sure that they were well revved up by the time he arrived. So part of it when it came to then discussing the one party that was remaining in my uh, lexicon, i.e. the progressive Democrats, so I said, if in doubt, leave them out. In other words, don't say anything wrong about them. But by saying that, I knew it was going to get a bit of a, a bit of a, <laughs> a raz uh, cheer from the crowd. You know, that's just politics. And in fairness, I remember meeting Bob Malloy the following Tuesday, and he was kind of uh, la laughing with me and at me. <laughs> at, at, what are you doing saying that? I said, you know yourself, Bobby, it's part of what you have to do to get the, 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 the crowd, get them going. Does it come back to the tribal thing? There's a bit of that. You play a little bit of a game. Uh, well, it's, it's part of politics uh, to get the, the, the crowd uh, revved up in such a way that uh, this is going to be a, a good dice uh, by having some issues. I, I, I did that role for Bertie in his time as well, and I made myself too available for them sort of uh, speeches, sort of, maybe, but I, I enjoyed them as well, and I knew that it was part of the razzmatazz. Going back to that uh, Reynolds-O'Malley relationship compared to the Hawhey-O'Malley relationship, would it be fair to say that Albert was disrespectful of the PDs? Well, 
No, I don't think he was disrespectful, but I do believe that they weren't as fond of him as they could were with Mr. Hawhey, for example. They didn't rate him as well as uh, they did Mr. Hawhey. They, they knew Charlie was Charlie, but they also realised he was a man of ability and could get things done and would be a person with whom you could deal with. Um, with they didn't show the same uh, respect, I think, for Albert as they did for, 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 for Mr. Hyde. But, you know, that can be... You can often have personality differences because they're, they're different uh, and way of going on. But I don't think it was... Um, anything that both sides couldn't handle, if you know what I mean. What was it like being in government with the Labour Party, the first Fianna Fáil Labour coalition? I have fond memories of that government. I thought it was a very good government and one that should have kept on. I, I was really uh, surprised how, 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 it, how it finished. But that was a good government um, and it was um, if you like, uh, a, 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 if you like a moderately um, conservative, I suppose you call it, in economic policy, but um, social democratic in relation to economic, uh, so, sorry, social policy, and it's like looking after people that were unable to help themselves due to disability or whatever. And would have become a, a government, lengthier government, and a government that could have been re-elected uh, at that time if we were to get over these stupid spats that used to take place, many of which were instigated not by the politicians, but by their advisors in the background. Tell us more about that. Oh, we, we couldn't say. Well, <laughs> um, no, I think that there was, there are people involved in politics all the time who, in fact, are more partisan than the, than the politicians, maybe, and who have a view about what the role of their political party is vis-a-vis -vis another one, like could well be a partner in government. And that feeds into the atmosphere, if you like, uh, and causes tensions unnecessarily. When politicians sit down and realise there's an issue to be resolved and there's a bit of give and take on all sides and we get on with it. We're not, we're not harmed by some things that are said or done that we could have done without. We don't hold grudges that way. You know, guys in the background do uh, sometimes and um, that's unfortunate because... Um, if you like, they, they uh, compromise the way in which that government can develop were it not interfered with in that way. As a government progresses, um, the guys who, who are advising the government or advising people in government sometimes don't know the dynamics that are at play in interpersonal relationships which grow um, to become more accommodating in government than would have been the case in opposition. Whereas the advisors might be coming to it still in opposition mode and feeling that this is a crowd that have to be 
watched or something that as if as if as if we were no we weren't a one government situation of your labor colleagues in cabinet who would have stood out in terms of people you would you would have admired well rory quinn was was a good minister for enterprise and employment i had a lot of dealings with them um and rory rory again is a, was a guy who was interested in getting things done. And um, Brendan Howland was a good minister for health. Um, you know, the, the Rob D. Brannock was a new person, f first time, if you like, uh, in the Dáil and then uh, indeed um, in Cabinet. But I, I dealt with her on education issues locally and she was very accommodating and good. And Dick Spring and you? And, and in fact, Dick himself was a former a scrae man like myself, so we had that connection. Um, and and uh, Mervyn Taylor was a, was a decent man. So, I mean, I must say, no matter what government I was in, <laughs> uh, I got on well with people. Um, and, and that can often happen. Sometimes some of, the, some of the, the problems you have are with your own people, not that they don't know you, but by knowing you, I think they can push it a bit further than is really they should. They should. For example, when I was minister for finance, but I think every minister of finance suffers from that problem that everyone who comes into the place, no one tells you how to save money. They all want to spend it. You served as minister for foreign affairs. You would have dealt with Sinn Fein in the context of the, the peace process and trying to establish or re-establish government in Northern Ireland. Um, you probably had some fairly straightforward and robust exchanges with them at time to time, particularly when it came to, I think, maybe them consulting with the IRA about certain moves. Yeah. Do you want to remind us about some of that? Yeah, I, I remember. There was this occasion when we were having a discussion and um, Martin and I were in a room, uh, a hotel room in um, Ravensdale, I think it was, and... He said, There's, I can't answer this question. We'd have to consult with the IRA. And he said it a few times. And I said, There's a bathroom, go in and have a chat with the mirror and have a good chat with him. But then come back out and tell me. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a, in jest, where, in fairness to him, he had a good sense of humor and he could laugh in a way that other people don't have a sense of humor. And I mean, was that was was it that humorous comment made maybe half joking, whole in earnest? I mean, was it based on a belief or a knowledge that he was? No, a belief. A belief. I didn't. I don't have the inside track and all those things. A lot of people talk about things that, in fact, they're not okay with at all. But uh, it sounds right, so you say it. But I, I wouldn't be one of those punters. Well, you were more than a punter at that stage. Now you're a minister for foreign affairs. Yes, but I wouldn't, I would, I've had many um, discussions with Sinn Féin and various guys down the years, and uh, there were times when we, it was robust, and uh, we weren't shrinking violets that time, and they, they're not either, so, you know, you, you pull or hurl, as the fellow says. You became Minister of Finance when Charlie McCreevy went yeah. to Brussels as Commissioner, um, how would you describe your own style as compared to his and your priorities? I mean, was there a definite change there? 
There wasn't a definite change. Of course, um, there was some change, I'd have to say. Uh, there was a feeling at that stage that we needed to, we, that we had, we needed to, to, to uh, push certain policies that would re, if you like, um, re-emphasize Fianna Fáil's commitment to the less well-off uh, and to the people who were who were outside the system in many ways. Like the, and I particularly wanted to help those people, like people with disabilities and that. And we did those things. People with mental handicap, handicap helping families uh, that were dealing with that issue all the time. It's been suggested, for instance, that when you brought forward budgets, you emphasised that these were government measures, whereas, say, your predecessor, Charlie McCreevy, would have described them as his measures. Yeah, well, I mean, um, that, that may be the case. That's style. That's, I, I would be very much of the view that one should use the budget as a means of emphasising um, government cohesion. The, the, here was a government doing certain things, giving certain priorities to certain issues at the time. Charlie would, was always... Um, uh, I always referred to him as a, a, a real good maverick. I mean, <laughs> he was very much a Fianna Fáil man at the back of it, you know. I, I shared a room with him when we were both backbenchers. Um, a character, but he was also... Um, a person who wasn't afraid to put his own stamp on things. And that's fair enough. He, and he, as an accountant qualified, he, he'd know a fair bit about tax and all the rest of it. That suggests might, that he might have surprised colleagues from time to time with, for instance, something like decentralisation. Yeah, well, that wasn't so much, uh, that wasn't as big a surprise as, as other, as, as it's emerged for, for some people. I mean, the idea of trying to bring government out to the people is something that's looked at by cons uh, consecutive governments all the time. It was, there was a big move uh, by Charlie on decentralization because he felt there were a lot of people who would like to work elsewhere than in Dublin itself. Um, and in some respects, it was very successful in that regard. Was Charlie McCreevy pushed or did he go willingly to Brussels? No, he, he, at the end of the day, he went to Brussels. He was agreeable to go to Brussels. Did Bertie want him to go to Brussels? Well, clearly he, he felt, yes, I think he felt that Charlie would be a very good commissioner for us, but because... for the country. Because, no, because I think his time... If you look at his, his spokesmanship and his work in government as Minister of Finance, he had given many years to it. And I think at the end of the day, Charlie probably needed the change as well. And it, it, when he went away, you could see that he, it gave him a new yeah, but piece of life. priority to change the direction to move yeah, forward back? Yeah, can, that, can that can be so too. But these are, you know, that's... The Taoiseach's prerogative. I mean, whilst we might feel we're indispensable, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> Can you tell me about your own role in Bertie Ahern's decision to resign as party leader when he did? 
Well, I have to roll this. I think he, he came to the view himself that um, at that time, he, he made the point that what will be the case in September, October, when he had minded to go? We know that certain issues arose with tribunal issues, etc. But at the end of the day, you know, I had great respect for, for Bertie Heron. Bertie Heron is the most, in my opinion, in my, in my time, the most underrated. I mean, for, for a guy that was so good at what he, was, what he did as a politician, the number of people who underestimated him, particularly opponents, political opponents, much to their, uh, that they found out afterwards, um, he was a guy who had made his decision up to say, look, he was going to America, it was the, the, the end of the peace, that phase of the peace process. And there, I'm often, it's said, you know, oh, by the way, was Bertie Hearn pu pushed? Bertie Hearn wasn't pushed. Was Bertie Hearn was not pushed. Was he nudged by you? They don't nudge by me. It's, it's a question. At times when I have, when I, I'd have discussions, and we've had a, many discussions up and down, um, but I never, for once would, would be so disrespectful or so presumptuous as to say that. I well, would you have had a conversation with him that helped him to reach a decision to go? No, the conversations we had and uh, at that time was the same as other, other times. Well, review the situation and see what's in, what's in it for, for Bertie Ahern? It wasn't, what's in it for me? What's in it for Bertie? He, he said in his memoir, I think, that uh, you would have been happy for him to continue. I would have been happy, but I'll put it this way. I never, at any case, at any time, suggested he should go, that you must go. That, that would be Did he totally ask you what at variance with the way I'd be thinking about things anyway. But would there have been subtle exchanges which would have established in his mind and yours what the position should be? No, genuinely. I mean, I'm not trying to be smart about it. He, it he made his own decision based on his own assessment of the situation. I mean, there's no better political assessor of the situation than himself. And it would be very wrong for any colleague at any time to say uh, that there was a, an effort to dislodge him uh, at a t other than time he was prepared and wanted to go. You, of course, became his successor as leader of Fianna Fáil and Taoiseach. He had said at the outset of that dull term that he saw you as his natural successor. Um, what did you make of that? Because it was unusual. It was, it was quite the most surprising answer a politician ever gave me when I suggested to him he might want that, and he agreed. Yeah, I mean, you were delighted with the coup, of course, <laughs> having get, you know, got that information. Um, but he, he, was, he had come to the point, I think, of his being prepared to just say the way, what he felt about it. I mean, for, for a long time, Bertie had to play his cards very close to his test, chest on a lot of is issues. Um, but in relation to that issue, he was asked that question and he just said it, as he said it to me, because I, I wasn't expecting the more than anyone else was expecting it. And it leaves you in a certain position where you say, Jenny, uh, uh, I'm now being told uh, you're next. <laughs> And, of course, it's the party at the end of the day decides that, the parliamentary party decides those things. And it, 
if you like, was seen to, as some colleagues saw it afterwards, interfere in uh, an issue that he wasn't going to be part of, of sorting out, if you like. But that was, he had come to that point uh, himself, I think. He said, look, if he asked me and I answered him and I, I don't, I'm just not going to hedge my bets anymore on this. You know? I, I want to put you to a sentence or two from a book written by a former advisor and current friend, a long-time friend of yours, Fintan Drury, where he suggested that maybe your own interest and the country's interest might have been better served by you being in a, a senior position, but maybe not as leader. Yeah, well, that's a view that person can hold after the fact. Mm. <laughs> but, um, and there's certainly uh, people who would feel that, that he was a better number two than he was a number one. And what's your own view on that one? Certainly there were aspects of leadership that I didn't like. Um, because I got on so well with so many colleagues. I, you know, to become the leader, you, you have to step above and beyond uh, that situation. And you then make decisions, which are never easy to make, personality issues or um, what, who, who, who's best for what job, etc. this sort of thing. And it's, it's, it's a, you can't win. It's, it's an you, issue. You were often seen, and I think rightly so, as a, as a tough politician um, where, where opponents uh, were concerned and decisions that had to be made in terms of policy or Minister of Finance. But when it came to dealing with colleagues, maybe that you mightn't have been ruthless enough to be Taoiseach. Yeah, well, if one required ruthlessness, in that sense, uh, no, that wouldn't be me. I wouldn't. I, I just it's just built that way, I suppose. And in fairness, it's it's an aspect of the job that no Taoiseach finds easy. If you ask any of them, Albert Reynolds seemed to be able to do it with great ease. Well, maybe he was an exceptional rule in many cases of what, what. But he was a businessman who would that were you make those sort of. Uh, quick decisions all the time, you know. Um, maybe he just was temperamentally more suited to that than, than others might be. But I, I was never felt that way. I, I, I was always a person who worked with guys rather than having to point out you can't do this or you're not getting such a job, etc. It's not. Anyway, it comes with the territory. And when it comes to the territory, you do it and get on with it and hope that others can see that, you know, you have a job to do and at the end of the day, you make value judgments and th that's it. If people can't live with that, it means that uh, they probably weren't ready to do that job that, anyway. You were faced with an economic crisis which far surpassed any crisis that yeah. any of your predecessors or successors in modern times had to contend with. Um, can you talk us through that? Well, you know, you can imagine. It was, it was difficult. I mean, apart from the ordinary people were going to find it very difficult, but it was difficult being head of the government at the time. Um, you, it, it falls to usually the teacher and the Minister of Finance, that relationship to um, figure a way to get the country through such a period. There was no 
painless way of doing things. Um, it was very simple. We had a recession, a very serious recession. We had less revenue coming into the government coffers through taxes. And we had uh, considerable expenditure, expenditure on the other side, which couldn't be all wiped out as if it, it didn't, it wasn't necessary. It was the wages for the people that were working uh, in the state. And it was the public sector workers. It was, you know, providing for healthcare, providing for having uh, Gardaí in the street. And there were a lot of external factors not under your control, but there were domestic issues where you did have control. And looking back now, for instance, the point is made that when you became Minister for Finance in 2004, instead of ordering or settling or embarking on a review of the tax breaks for the construction industry, that you should have been quicker to move against some of them. To, to cool the situation down. What, what are your... Well, do, do, all, is that a fair criticism? Well, all I did that year was say, look, guys, we have that, this issue in relation to uh, tax breaks, which we need to review. But to do that, you need to actually study. You need to you let them go and do that. I came into the job a month or two before the budget that year. I said, but this time next year, I will make the changes based on a, a fundamental review taking place. And that's what we did. I felt uh, certainly um, we had the room and the time to do it. We didn't, it wasn't an issue that, oh, it has to be done now because there's going to be a problem five, four but years down the line. Again, the criticism w was repeatedly made, mm. and is still made, that you, you expanded public spending on the basis of revenue from taxes that you couldn't be able, you weren't able to rely on into the future, primarily from construction. Yes, as it turned out, that, that's the case. And um, we, we, we didn't see, or no one foresaw, but doesn't, you, you don't get any comfort by saying it, no one foresaw that we were going to have the crisis that we did have. I mean, that, let's be honest about it. But with the revenues that were available, and I became Minister for Finance, for example, the need to do something for our pensioners. I mean, if we, the, it was the case at the time that with the amount of money that was coming into the, the, the coffers, you know, if you weren't able to do it then, when were you ever going to be able to do it? When were you ever going to bring this, the, the, you know, the pension aid, the pension rate up to the amount that we, we, we had set, like the, the um, 200 euros per week, et And we did it over three or four budgets. But things like that. Then there came a time when, when we had, uh, we needed more nurses, we needed more beds. We, there was time when this country with its growing population, we're seeing that from the demographic uh, that emerges from the recent census. There are things that, have to be done now because the, the the problem is now. You can't put this back for five years. When you became Taoiseach, you chose Brian Lenahan to be your Minister for Finance. Can you describe that relationship? Because again, there have been a lot of suggestions that it became one that was quite tense at times. Well, I mean, I felt um, 
Brian was doing an excellent job in the Department of Justice. Uh, you could make the case that he should continue on there. But I felt that when I went out of the finance job myself, and went to the teacher's office, I said, he had, in my opinion, he had the capacity and he had the wherewithal to do that job uh, very well. And then, with, when the crisis came, you know, he displayed his ability to explain what were very complex problems, a very complex resolution of these problems uh, in as, as um, good a way as possible to do for, for ordinary people on the ground and listening. Um, but I had a good, I had an excellent relationship with him. And um, of course, look, if you, if you ever go, I had my problems. Um, finance and the Taoiseach's office will always have tete-a-tete uh, -tete from time to time. Um, and I had them with, with, uh, with, Bert, with Bertie Ahern, which, was, which are fine. They're, they're just part of the interaction of how a government works to come to decisions. But I, 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 he had my confidence at all times. When he told me about his health, the health issue, there was no doubt in my mind I, when I, you know, and I asked him, just from his own point of view, how, how he felt about it. He felt, he said, this, you know, I want to stay in the job, I want to do the job, and it will help my recovery um, health-wise, you know, so he didn't want that interfering. I said, fine, that's, that's no problem. No problem with that. So, but all the time, at the end of the day, when finance needs help at a cabinet table, the Taoiseach must be seen in support always, always. Because it's, it's so important, particularly at a, at a critical time for the country. Once there, there can't be any difference between both uh, positions, if you like, in terms of doing what needs to be done. And there were difficult decisions to be made, and difficult decisions were made. For instance, where the bank guarantee was concerned yeah. in September of 2008, yeah. Yeah. Um, were you at him on that? Were you at one with him on that? We were in the. We were. I mean, there's people try to make the impression, give the impression that no, we weren't. I mean, for heaven's sake, we. we well, we, clearly you were at the cabinet table by virtue of what you've just said. Yes, but we before were. that. Well, even before that, um, you know, the night of the, when we when we discussed what was what was ultimately going to have to be our decisions based on what was happening that particular evening and night. You know, we we difficult decisions, but I, you know, we I said we're doing it. Let's let's go and do it. We have to keep the situation correct as regards having access to the money that would be needed, even reduced amount of money that would be needed to to run a a government on less money than would have been the case for the previous three or four years. You had you had the um, the the bailout. The troika came to town, and then you had to. You, you, you had to face the voters that your party had. Um, you, you resigned. Um, did, had you thought at all about saying, sticking with it and, and contesting that 2011 election? Well, I discussed that with my, my wife, primarily. Um, my attitude was, knowing as I do, 
a Taoiseach in Ireland, once he resigns, he hasn't had much of a role to play. Look at John Bruton at the end of his career. Albert Reynolds, the two or three years he spent in the dial afterwards. Cherry High waiting for the time to arrive when the next election was called. He was moving out of politics. I felt to what it, given all of what happened, all that happened and the difficult time we had, to what extent would it be in Fianna Fáil's interest or my interest? Uh, be back in the doll and, you know, an opposition roaring at you. They, every time they had a problem, look at your man. <laughs> Isn't this so, how foolish it, that end of it got? It was a bit ridiculous. But I said, I'm not going to give, give anyone that chance. I've, I'd love to have stayed in politics, but I had felt my race was run at that stage. I had done my bit. I had served in various departments. I had been a Taoiseach. Um, and we had made decisions which were in the interest of the country, which people now look back on and say, well, thankfully, there was people there prepared to make the decisions. Because everyone, um, the opposition at the time were, were coming up with all sorts of solutions, which were not real. I mean, the fact of the matter is, when they took office, they basically continued to t yeah, with um, what had to be done. And in fairness to them, they, they did go ahead and do that, which I was glad of. You were well able for the, the, the rough and tumble, and you, show, you showed that time and time again. But there must have been moments, though, um, where negative campaigning, not necessarily at election time, but uh, across the Dáil Chamber, I'm thinking of Eamon Gilmore accusing you of yeah. economic treason, uh, yes. Simon Coveney putting out a, a tweet suggesting yeah. you were halfway between drunk and hungover. I mean, how did you react to those? I mean, there, there were heavy blows. Did you think they were ah, below they were, the belt? They were out of, out of order. In fairness, they were out of order. I mean, neither charge had any merit. And it was it was part of throwing enough muck on the wall and somebody to stick. That seemed to be the only logic for a lot of it. Um and something you have to listen to that um when 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 you're in a a highly charged political situation and it comes with the territory. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And does it sting? Well, it doesn't sting in the sense that, you know, if they're they're not going out to hurt me personally, but they're 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 taking on my integrity or my, you know, suggesting that for some I I mean I can, to, to accuse an, an Irish politician at that time, everyone knew what he was at, you know, to be accused of economic treason. I mean, every decision we took were absolutely we believed in the interest of the country, however difficult they might have been. And by the way, they were glad when they got into government that we had made those decisions because I would hate to be waiting for them to make them when, when we had that three years completed. You resigned. You didn't contest the 2011 election. Fianna Fáil dropped from, I think, 77 seats yeah. the previous election to just 20 coming out of the 2011. The party that you were born into, the party that was dominant in Irish politics for the most of a century, Decimated. What, what did you make of that? Well, obviously, it, uh, I felt very upset. I was very upset about it, personally speaking. But, I mean, I, th that's the people's decisions. I mean, at the end of the day, we, 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 we stand or fall by their judgment. And uh, the party is 
trying to get back to something near, not what it was, but certainly of sufficient numbers that would make us um, a prospective part of, a, of an Irish government again. And that has proven to be the case uh, over time. It's, it's, it, we knew that it was going to be very difficult. Um, but did 20 seats, the drop to 20 oh, seats, yeah, did that, that surprise you? Well, it did surprise me. I mean, I'd be honest about it. it. It didn't surprise me in the sense I knew we'd lose seats, but I didn't think that we were in, we were in to get that sort of a, a drubbing. But we did, so we took it on the chin. Now, there are a lot of people saying, Fianna Fáil is gone, you know, nearly hope against hope. It was, there's some people that have been, been involved in political punditry in the hope that FF was gone. But FF ain't going because there's still, it's still a vibrant party, it's still a party that has support um, and it has to rebuild and had to rebuild trust uh, in, with the electors. Uh, and I think that when they saw us in opposition for a number of years, um, they said, right, Fianna Fáil are, had a relevance still at that point in the country and has, I hope, in the years ahead too. But you, it has to be relevant to the agenda that is there at any given time. Do you think Fianna Fáil should continue as an independent party or should it perhaps think about a merger or some sort of unity with Fine Gael? No, I, I don't think that that's really a prospect in real terms. No, not a prospect. I, the, I think Fianna Fáil has its own uh, political philosophy to its own ability to uh, communicate with the electors to say this is the way we would do things in, in the economy and social policy, whatever it is, and you put your candidates forward on the basis of your program and you see if it will get sufficient uh, support or not. How do you view the prospect of Fianna Fáil perhaps being in coalition with Sinn Féin? It may or may not come to pass in the future. It will be for the party, at the parliamentary party, that side to, to gauge what is, what is the requirements of the country, what situation are we in, and are we in a position to agree a, a programme for government with Sinn Féin, if, if, if that were to happen? And, you know, the situation has changed a lot in my lifetime. I mean, I remember we had 15 and 16 percent unemployment, and I, I thought if we ever get this down to 10 percent, that's as good as we'll ever do. I mean, we, we've had full employment in this country, and then the loss of 200,000 jobs or 300,000 jobs and full employment thereafter four or five years. Again, uh, a whole new fabric of uh, industrial activity and, and, and services that are now providing, uh, you know, its product and services to the wider world. I mean, Ireland is now a much different place, a much more sophisticated um, country than was the case that you were talking about the original is, time in the 40s or 50s. Sure. Is the country, though, now ready for a Sinn Féin government? Are Sinn Féin ready to be in government? Well, I don't know if they're ready to be in government. That would be a matter for them to, to prove in due course with, if they have sufficient support. Um, but will it happen? I can't. I can't uh, 
for, I can't foresee it from this point. You would have I'm simply making the point that uh, what Fianna Fáil will do in the future will be a matter for that parliamentary party to decide. Brian Cowan, thank you so much. Thank you.